Can Be New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. I, um, I love the backstory of, uh, of the kids going to Spokane. Some of you may not know this, but Ryan Brown and his son Dustin Brown were homeless in Spokane a long time ago. Ryan is our next-gen pastor. Dustin is our children's pastor. They went to the Union Gospel Mission. They found Jesus and food. And then they began to give back. And for years now, we give back to that community because of what they've given to us and the gift of Ryan and Dustin. Isn't that a great, wonderful story? That's a, that's a beautiful story. That's amazing. It's amazing. Well, today's Father's Day, and I thought it would be very good to talk about a few father stories. Because I have some. My dad's here today. Where are you, Dad? Stand up. He's right there. He didn't want to do it. There he is. There's my pop right there. I'm going to tease him. He's going to be 80 in July, but he doesn't look a day over 79, does he? That guy, he's, he's done a lot for, for his family, that is for sure. Did you know uh, my mom and my dad really had a vision a long time ago to migrate our family to Oregon? And now we have our family and our kids and our grandkids are, are growing up in this area. It takes people like Abraham, people like fathers who see that and take you to a place or a land that you know you're going to prosper and be blessed. And I'm so blessed by my father and and his willingness to follow and be obedient to the Lord. There are a lot of stories we could tell about my dad and there's a lot of stories we could tell about me being a dad. One of those stories is that when I was growing up, I have two brothers and a little sister, but my dad would always work the three boys. I mean, he worked and worked and worked us. And I couldn't imagine and why he would do this. He's a school teacher, and yet he'd take these jobs doing flat work, digging ditches, laying brick. I mean, all those kinds of things from sunup to sundown. We worked. And when we were in our house, he would call us by name. That's right to do. Ronnie, Ricky, and Randy. That's what he would say. But when we were on the job, it was all different. It was all business. He wanted to get things done. He didn't want the cement to dry. He didn't want things to happen that shouldn't happen. So when we were out on the job, all three of us, and he wanted something, he would yell one name. He'd just say, hey, Tony. And all three of us would stop what we were doing because all of us were Tony on the job. And then he would point at us and he'd say, you get a trowel, you get this, you get that. He knew that if he took time and said, Ronnie, Ricky, Randy, it'd get all mixed up. But on the job, when you need things done, you say, Tony. (laughs) When you say that, we jump, we get things done. I found that I do the same thing with my boys growing up and now my grandson. If I want to get him and I don't, Ronnie, Ricky, Randy, and try to get, I want them all to look at me. I say, hey, Bubba, and they all stop. And then I can tell them what to do. I can be the boss of them when I yell, Bubba. And so I find out I'm doing some of the same things my my dad did growing up. My dad had this philosophy at our house. The philosophy was this, that boys that are not tired get in trouble. That was his philosophy. It was very simple, very straightforward, and he was right, and it worked. And so what he did, we didn't know it. I mean, we didn't really even get smart about this. Some of you have heard it. But when we were growing up, wherever we would move, this brick pile would move with us. 
And I couldn't figure out why a brick pile was following us. And it was no small brick pile. This was a brick pile. I thought, man, my dad's into collecting bricks. What's he doing that for? We'd pull by an old job and he'd go, oh, there's a bunch of bricks. And he'd be throwing them in the back. We got bricks. And he kept adding to the brick pile. And when we would be uh, in the course of the day, especially in the summer when there was no school, he'd say, boys, I want you to move that brick pile from here to over there. And so three boys took a whole day and we moved, this is a big brick pile, we moved those bricks. And then he'd say, boys, next week, I want you to take that brick pile and move it to the other side of the yard. And we kept doing this and doing this. And finally, I said, Dad, why are you having us move the brick pile? He said, because I don't want the grass to die underneath those bricks. So move the bricks. (laughs) And so we moved bricks. We worked bricks all the time. And what he was really doing, what he was about, was he knew he needed to have tired boys because he knew this as well. He knew that no good thing could happen after 10 o'clock in the evening with boys. Nothing. And so he made us want to stay home. He just worked our tails off. So we were tired. We wanted to go to bed at night because he worked us all the time. That paid off. You know, there was another philosophy, and this is what it was. My mom was sacred ground. You do not cross your mother. You wouldn't do that. Now, you got to know this. My dad, when he was young, he was a Division I baseball football player. He was a wrestling coach. He was a football coach. He was a baseball coach. And he had three boys that were close in age, and they did the same things. And so when he said something, you listened. And I remember one time, I, I think it was only once, I crossed over the line into sacred ground. And I said something to my mom. Didn't know my dad was listening. He came flying in out of the bathroom. And he had a half-shaven face. And he pushed me up against the wall. And he said, you just crossed the line, boy. You know what he said to me? He said, I knew her before I knew you. And I like her more than I like you. So you leave her alone. Wow, and then that passes down from generation to generation because my boys have grown up with the same thing. She, my wife, Annette, sacred ground. You don't cross that ground or you're in big trouble. One day I was sitting in the living room and I could hear my second child arguing with his mom and he was getting nasty with her and I was just about ready to fly over the top of the, 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 the little hole in the, in the kitchen and I looked over and he saw me. He didn't know I heard everything and he went like this. The blood rushed out of his head. His knees started going like this and he got all ash and he was <laughs> and I said, we must talk. You know, those boys love their mom. They open the door for their mom. They treat their mom well. Mom is sacred ground. And that's what we were taught. So there are things about raising a family that have a a lot to do with dad and my dad and me. And now my boys are becoming fathers. It's amazing. God is so good to us, isn't he? I want you to do this. If you'd open your Bible with me to John chapter 6, we're going to look at the Gospel of John together. We've been studying out of the Gospel of John in a series entitled, Return to Your First Love. And the Gospel of John reflects that so well for us. The Gospel of John has some amazing stories. And you need to remember and know something about John, is that when he writes something, he's very purposeful. Very purposeful with what he does, what he chooses to tell you, what he chooses to tell me. 
I have a story that I want you to hear today, and it has to do with hungry people. People who barely were able to make a living. And to make matters even more difficult, the government that they were subjected to taxed them between 30 and 40% of their already meager income. You can imagine that these people were always wondering where the next meal would come from. Moms and dads really trying to feed their families something that I'm sure consumed their thinking day in and day out. I'm telling you this because you need to have some context of the story we're about to read. You see, without context, you can just swoop right through it and really not understand what was going on and even judge these people a little more harshly than they deserve. You see, these people were very poor people. They lived in this culture, and it was a difficult culture. And I want you to understand a little bit about the way they lived. You know, it's always been true. I think all through time it's been true that our economic realities deeply influence the way that we live life. And I also know this. I know that God will use those economic realities as a tool to form and shape you. For instance, my grandparents raised a family during the Depression. And they were so influenced by the Depression, the Great Depression, as to what it did in their life, what it did in their families. And I'm thinking they were probably thinking the same thing the people thought in the story we're going to read. Where are we going to get food tomorrow? They were so influenced that the Depression was always all the way behind them. I mean, years had passed and they still lived in some way like they were in the Depression. I remember going and spending the night at their house. We were fortunate that our grandparents lived close by and going into the bathroom and opening a drawer and looking in this drawer and seeing what I thought were five empty tubes of toothpaste. I thought, why are they collecting all this? And I opened it and I said, Grandpa, you want me to throw this away? He goes, no, 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 no. You can get one more brush out of each one of those toothpastes. Besides that, we saved the foil. (laughs) I thought, my goodness. It's not the depression anymore. But those economic realities back in the late 20s and 30s shaped and influenced the way they lived life, the way they looked at life. I'm saying all that so that you understand the people that you read about, that you can get close and understand how they filtered, how they saw life, how they saw their culture. They were wondering Where's all this going to come from? The people in our story today are the Jews who lived in the land of Palestine, and their oppressors were the Romans. You know, they didn't get off to a very good start. They really didn't. They hated each other as long as they existed with one another. And the reason why? It started off horribly. In 63 BC, Pompey, the conqueror of Palestine, walks up to the Temple Mount... He goes into the second court where no Gentile should ever go. And then he has the audacity to go into the most holy of holy places where a high priest would only go once a year. He walked into that holy of holies and he began to spit on the God of Israel. Not a good start. The people knew right away that they were going to be oppressed. In fact, it was the fourth country, the fourth nation that conquered and made captive the Jewish people. These people were mean. They were bad people. 
And then you pick up our story in John chapter 6, verses 22 through 35. And I want you to listen to this. It says, The next day the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered into that boat with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. Now, let me tell you what's happened. I'm skipping a story. It's Jesus walking on the water. You see, they, they realized that how did Jesus get to the other side? How, how did that happen? And they're starting to figure it out. They're thinking, wait a minute, there was only one boat. The disciples were in it. We didn't see Jesus get in it. How did he get over there? The reason we're doing this, I want you to connect the feeding of the 5,000 at the beginning of this chapter with the discourse of Jesus being the bread of life. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus walking on the water. Believe me, we're not going to skip a story like that. But it's important you connect these together. And then some boats from Tiberias in verse 23, near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor the disciples were there, they got into the boats and they went to Capernaum in search of Jesus, Jesus, the bread of life. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the God, God the Father, has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestor day ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never ever be thirsty. Remember at the beginning of this chapter, I already stated that Jesus feeds 5,000 heads of families. And I say it that way because the total was probably closer to thirteen to 15,000 people were fed. John does a masterful job inspired by the Holy Spirit and connecting miracles, or as he calls them in his gospel, signs. As he puts certain teachings with Jesus. And in this chapter, it's the feeding of the 5,000 with Jesus, the bread of life. Jesus, the bread of life. I love that. I love that. Not the bread of something or some other food of life, but the bread of life. That's interesting to me. Why, why was that particular food chosen? Why was that being used? Well, there's a reason it was being used. It was being used because people understood what he was talking about. Jesus being the bread of life meant that bread is a substance known and used by every society on the face of the earth since the beginning of time. 
Bread has such a satisfying quality that few other foods really have. Bread is good, and it's a food that people need. It's a food people use, and it's certainly a food people enjoy. I want to look at this just for a a few moments. Here are some things that I think we should know about the bread of life. Number one is this. The bread of life is a person. And you're saying to me, well, you're stating the obvious. Well, I need to state the obvious. And the reason I do is because I cannot tell you how many times we miss it. How many times we forget it. How many times we go around the fact that the bread of life is a person and it's the work and person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. He's the primary, he's the center, he's the absolute, and in this church we say he's the main thing. And the bread of life is not a system or a denomination or an institute or a church, but he is a person. Now, I want to tell you what that means to you, what it means to me. It means this, that we can never be saved by our own goodness. We can never be saved by our own works, our own righteousness. We can never be saved by some religious system or method. And the reason I say that is because I've heard people tell me, well, I, I, I was in this church or this denomination, and, and, and that's how I was saved. Listen, there's only one way to be saved, and I'm not down on church or denomination, but I need to tell you, if you believe that in the past, the only way that you can experience real life is a personal relationship with the bread of life, and that's Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Now I'm going to flip it over a little bit. Those who have went through life like I have it occasion or time where I've broken some religious code or rule and felt condemned. Have you ever done that? Man, I've broken the rules and I don't sometimes even know what they are, but I feel like I broke them. Listen, you will not be damned to eternity. You know why? Because Jesus can forgive you as well. That's why I love the fact that he pulled out the institutes. He pulled out all the buffers and he says, come to me and I'll give you life. He's not saying go to anyone else. He's saying come to him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. I love that about my relationship with God. You see, salvation comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. I have to say that today. You need to remind yourself of that today. The second thing here is the bread of life has a promise, a wonderful promise. What is the promise? The promise is life. And I say that because we take for granted life. I think since you've been here, you've taken about mm, three or 4,000 breaths. You probably didn't think about it much. But you're alive, I think. Listen, what we're talking about here is that eternal life. And that we need to cherish that eternal life. We need to embrace that eternal life. And we can do that through the bread of life because that's the promise. Jesus tells his followers that seeking physical bread will leave you hungry again. That if you take this, the things that you see physically, even the things of the world, and you try to satisfy your life that way, it won't happen. It may work for a while, but sooner or later you will be left empty. Sooner or later, you will be hungry. When Jesus is received, he gives everlasting life. 
When Jesus is received, he will give salvation that lasts for all eternity. Now, here's the simple truth. Every person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ will live forever. That's the simple truth. And if you're here and you've never done that before, I'm going to invite you into that relationship. The end of our time together, I'm just going to give you an invitation. Say, if you've never crossed over from death to life, from the old to new, you have an opportunity to do that. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. The promise is eternal life. Here's something else. The bread of life has a price. Here's what we must keep in mind. Before we can enjoy this bread, we must receive it. Now, I'm stating a lot of obvious things here today, but they're things that we overlook. This is so simple, but I can't tell you how many people stumble right here. How many people don't receive the bread of life? I don't know if it's our own human pride. Is it our arrogance? Is it our intellect that gets in the way? I don't know what it is. But I can tell you, I have looked people in the face. I have talked to people who believe that Jesus is real, who believe that he died for sins, who believe that he even rose again from the grave, but they've never, ever received the bread. They've never taken it. You see, there's a transaction that needs to take place once that gift that promise of, of life, of bread being given to you. What do you need to do? You need to receive it. I love Dave's killer bread. You love Dave's killer bread. I love this bread. This is good bread. And when someone gives you bread, you want to take the bread. I'm giving it to people who have kids right here. There you go. You have bread and you want to take the bread. You want to eat the bread. But how do you get it? There's a transaction that takes place. You have to receive the bread. There. You see that it's, it's simple. But how many times when we're invited to take bread that we don't receive it? We think, well, maybe this is a hoax. Maybe this isn't real. Maybe this isn't true. But whenever someone hands you bread, especially this kind of bread, you want to take it. Listen, until you receive that bread, you can know everything about it. But until you receive it, willingly receive it, God is not going to kick you down. He's not going to beat you up. He's not going to twist your arm to take that bread. He's going to say, here, here's the bread. Then you take it. You see, when you take it, then amazing things happen. Life transforms you. The life of the Spirit of God. That's an amazing thing that happens. Jesus is the bread of life. I want to give you some thoughts concerning the bread of life. These are my thoughts that I can't help but be compelled to go back to the illustrations right in our scripture today. In John chapter 6, there are two things that Jesus connects. One we've already talked about. The miracle of, of, of the 5,000 or the feeding of the thirteen to 15,000. What happens here? Jesus presented himself as the bread of life. Here's the implication. The implication is this, that Jesus, like the physical loaves and fishes, is all that we need for life. But if you read a little further in the story, and I love this, I want to go down a little deeper and see what it says. Those little phrases that sometimes you miss when you read a story. 
Some of those little phrases in this story is found in verse 11 and verse 13. Here it is. Notice this. As much as they would. <laughs> what does that mean? It means this. They ate and 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 they ate some more. Everyone was absolutely full to the brim. Everyone. And then you go to verse 13 and don't miss this. There was an abundance left over. I love that. You know why? I love that. Because when you eat of the things of the world, you'll get cheated. You you only get halfway full. You only get partly full. You only get three quarters of the way full. But when you eat from the bread of life, it's pressed down, shaken together, and running out all over. There is an abundance that God gives you. When he says, I'm going to give you love, he's going to pour it in, and it's going to leak out over everything. When he says he's going to give you grace, he gives you grace not just for you, but for everyone else. The bread of life is abundant and overflowing. This is my guess. The bread that I handed out today, you notice it's sliced up. I don't think mom's going to let dad eat all that. I think that it's going to be shared with others. That's what I think. That's the way it's designed. That is the essence and nature of bread. Bread is meant to be shared. You don't get a loaf and look at someone else over your shoulder and say, no, you can't have any. You have a lot to give. And when you have the bread of life, it's abundant. It's all over. It's everywhere. And I love that. So let me say this to you. It comes with a little bit of a warning. And that is, be careful what you ask for. Because one day I asked for an abundance of patience. I wished I would have never asked for that. I mean, during the time. And guess what? Trouble came my way. Trouble. You know, Ammonite just came my way. And the Lord was saying, you asked for this. I want to give it to you. And I want you to pass it on. I want you to teach others. It's not just for you. I want you to give it away. I want you to model it. I want you to reflect it. Because it is one of the qualities of me, the bread of life. He is patient with you. He says it in the word. He's long-suffering. That goes beyond patience. I love that about the Lord. I love that. It's all over. And there's another place we can see Jesus as the bread of life. And that's this. It's the manna from heaven. Do you see what they're talking about here? See, the Jews have something in their head. They have something in their mind. They have a place that this happened before. Kind of like this. Kind of like the feeding of the 5,000. And they're thinking, man, I think our fathers kind of experienced this through Moses. Wasn't it manna? I mean, there was a miracle like that. You see, they had a reference point. And they're saying, hey, Moses gave us manna. Why don't you give us that sign? You know what Jesus says? Jesus said, it wasn't Moses. It was my heavenly Father that gave that to you. And there's something else you need to know, that I am the bread from heaven. I'm given to you. And I was so excited, I went back and I opened Exodus 16. You need to do that. It's where the manna is. And I thought, wow, the foreshadowing of Christ here is remarkable. Sometimes we look for the typology that just stands out at us. But there are times we need to look and see the little things that foreshadow Jesus Christ. And it's found in the manna. What are the properties and the qualities of manna? Number one, it's stated in Exodus 16, 14 that it was small. You know what that tells me? 
It tells me about the humility of Christ. No one knew. I mean, they said about him, Who, who's this from Nazareth? I mean, Nazareth, who's the hillbilly? What's he got to say to us? Because here in Jerusalem, we live in a different world than he lives in. Small, insignificant. God came from heaven, and we call him Emmanuel because he came to us, and he was born in a nave. Somewhere that was inconspicuous, somewhere that was small, somewhere no one noticed. And then when you look at the manna, you recognize it's white. That speaks to me of the sinless nature of Christ. There's a scripture that says he is without spot or wrinkle. And I don't know what you picture. I don't know the imagery that comes to your mind. I I get the spot part of it. But I found something out about the wrinkle part of it. The wrinkle part of it isn't like we think my clothes are wrinkled. The wrinkle part literally means a fold. He's without spot or fold. What that means is he doesn't keep anything from you. He doesn't hide anything from you. All good and precious gifts are from our Father in heaven. He doesn't keep everything you see in him is true and honest and perfect and real and has integrity. Everything you see is true. It is who he is. He has not folded anything in here to surprise you and say, oh, did you find that? I didn't want you to see that. He doesn't hide one thing from you. He is who he says he is. And then I look at this and I realize that the manna came at night. How significant is that? Because we had light come into a very, very dark world in Jesus. And then the last thing I think about here is it was misunderstood. Did you know the literal term for manna? Do you know what it is? (laughs) What is it? That's what manna means. When they saw it, they went, what is this? Manna was misunderstood. And then you think of the life of Christ and how misunderstood he was. Everyone had their own agenda. Even in this story, you read, they wanted to take him because he fed them and they wanted to force him to be king. It was their agenda. He runs to the hills. He hides out. He gets rest. He says, that's not the agenda of God. Everyone had an agenda. The religious group, the Romans, everyone had an agenda for Jesus Christ and all of those agendas were wrong. He was misunderstood. Even his zealots, his own people, thought that he was going to overthrow the Roman government, but that's not what he was about. He said, my kingdom will come and it will be forever and I will rule and reign on the throne for God's people. I love that. I want to close with a few words about what bread and bread of life has given us. Very simple things you've heard, but I want to say this again. The bread of life has given us salvation. I was writing this down, getting ready to bring this to you. And if you were in the office next to me, you thought I was crazy because I I, I say things out loud and I want to hear myself. And you know what I heard? I wrote these words. I heard he saved me. And when I said that, something in my spirit just leaped up because I haven't heard myself say that. I don't hear myself say that that often. He saved me. I mean, he saved me. 
And I got so excited, I just started walking. And I kept hearing myself say, he saved me. He saved me? He saved me. Hear yourself say it. Say it. He saved me. Say it again. Say it again. Now you're getting it. Now you can feel what that means. It's the salvation. It's the redemptive quality of God's spirit that comes in and breathes life. And you say, he saved me. And you go, yes, he did. And my spirit affirms it. And the promises of God are yea and amen. He saved me. Salvation will never be produced in the life of any person, anywhere, at any time, unless they come to Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 says this, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. If you need salvation, the Bible says all who believe on the Lord will be saved. And I'm going to say this to you, because when I was doing this and thinking about this and praying over this, I had this distinct nudging of God's spirit that there may be some of you here today and maybe just one person here today that you came looking for a sign. That you said, God, I'm kind of at the end of my rope. I'm at the end of this or I'm at the end of that and Lord, I need a sign. I need a sign. And I think for some that ask that, you've seen it already. And I think for those that are asking it right now, he's giving it. The sign is found in verse 29. They said, what is it? What is it we need to do? And Jesus said, to believe in the one that he has sent. You've been seeking a sign. You seek Jesus. And here's your promise. Those who seek will find. Those who knock it will be open to you. Those who open their hearts, rivers of living water will flow. Those that confess they're hungry, they'll receive the bread of life. Those that say they're thirsty, those people will be satisfied. And that's the second thing here. The bread of life has given me fulfillment and satisfaction. The bread of life can do the same for you. I was reminded of the story in Greek mythology where King Tantalus came to the table of Zeus, his father. And Zeus had found out these despicable things that he had done to his own family. And he was so enraged, he sent Tantalus to the underworld. And where he put him was in this crystal clear, beautiful water. And he stood there, and above him was a tree full of fruit. And as he stood there, he began to get hungry and famished. And he looked up, and he saw the fruit. And as he reached for the fruit... The limbs on the tree began to rise with his hands where he could never quite get the fruit. And he was left hungry. He was famished. And then he looked down and he said, well, I'm thirsty. I'm parched. I need water. And then he bent down to get the water. And as he does, the water he's bending down for continues to recede where he could never get a taste on his tongue of water. That's where we get the word tantalized. I said this to say this. The bread of life never, 
ever treat you that way. The bread of life is accessible. The bread of life is something that you can take and you can eat until you're full and there's plenty. The bread of life brings fulfillment to all who eat. You will never be teased by God. Ever. And then the last thing here is the bread gives me hope. Something about bread that just brings hope. Oh, there's food. Oh, 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 good. It's the first thing we usually put out, isn't it? You want some bread? And then I go, oh, wow. I'm not going to go hungry. I'm hopeful of a better life. I'm hopeful of purpose in life. I'm hopeful because the bread of life has brought hope to me. That I will always, always be able to experience hope in my life. If you're hopeless today... Eat the bread of life. Would you bow your head? I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward and I'm going to finish this way and that is if you're here today and you know I I, I said something earlier about just in your heart looking for a sign and maybe you hadn't even articulated that but in your spirit when I said it you went yeah that's what I've been doing. Been looking for a sign. Sign from God. God wants to respond to you. Can I say this? God won't always give you what you want, but he will give you what you need. So when you ask him, keep your eyes and ears open because he will give you what you need. But you have to be looking. You have to be asking. You have to be wanting him. And if you're here today and you came and you said to the Lord, I'm looking for a sign. I want you to lift your hand just for a moment because, good, because God, good, good. You can put your hands down. Maybe that sign for you is healing, physical and spiritual. God can do that. Maybe it's provision. God can do that. (laughs) I'm kind of excited for you. Just now, I just got excited for you because you lifted your hand and this is what I know. He will respond. He's going to give you something. He's going to bless you because he is your father in heaven. Ask, knock, want, want him, and he will bless you. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus, you've never received the bread of life, maybe you thought your salvation came through an institute or denomination or church, But you found out, recognized today that real salvation comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's true for you and you want to receive Jesus with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, lift your hand. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't do anything like that. But what you're doing is you're just making a confession and saying, I received Jesus Christ today. I received the bread of life. Because if you need it, he's there. That's the promise. Always will be the promise. In Jesus' name. Father, today we thank you. We thank you for your abundance. Because we need that. We don't always admit it. 
And even the strongest of us don't always admit it. But we are weak and we are feeble. You are strong and you are sturdy. You're described as a rock that will never be moved. You're described as a shelter that cannot be penetrated by this world. You're described as a shield and a buckler who goes before us and watches and takes guard over our lives. You're described as a victor who brings battles to the end and comes out the winner. Thank you. We confess these things to you today. We are feeble. We are weak. But you're strong. Thank you for being the bread of life, for being broken for us and giving us all that we need for this life and for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. We say amen and amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.